the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. January 26, 2021. Remember all those cases, legal cases we're not supposed to talk about? They were dismissed primarily for such things as lack of standing. Lack of standing can roughly be described as the inability of a party to demonstrate to the court sufficient connection to and harm from the law or action challenge to support the party's participation in the case. Now, the House of Representatives has impeached someone for speaking about those cases that were dismissed and sent an article of impeachment to the U.S. Senate so as to try him in order to convict him. The irony. Read the article of impeachment. As Byron York has pointed out, the title of the case, the article of impeachment, in bold on the front page at the top, quote, Impeaching Donald John Trump, President of the United States for High Crimes and Misdemeanors, close quote. Problem. Donald John Trump is not the President of the United States. Then we get to the first paragraph of the resolution, which reads, quote, Resolved that Donald John Trump, President of the United States, dot, 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 close quote. Next paragraph says the same thing. The paragraph after that quotes the Constitution, saying the President of the United States, quote, shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors, close quote. Detecting a problem? Yeah. The next few paragraphs detail conduct by Trump that occurred in early January when he was indeed president. And then another step back in time when the article says, quote, wherefore Donald John Trump by such conduct has demonstrated that he will remain a threat to national security, democracy, and the Constitution if allowed to remain in office, close quote. If allowed to remain in office. Donald John Trump is no longer in office. You can Google it. At the very end of the article of impeachment, the House says, quote, Donald John Trump thus warrants impeachment and trial, removal from office, and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States, close quote. Removal from office, there they go again. If the notion of standing meant anything, or the traditional notion of redressability, connecting the proposed remedy or solution to a problem needing to be solved, this impeachment would be dismissed in a trice. Not only is the impeachment a farce on the merits, charging incitement to riot over events that were planned before Donald Trump even spoke, charging incitement to riot over words courts have never considered to be incitement, charging incitement to riot over calmer language than actual words of incitement spoken by those who authored the articles of impeachment, it's a farce based on its own bill of indictment identifying Donald Trump as the president needing to be removed from office when he simply, in fact, is not the president. Why not impeach me or you? We have the same amount of power as Donald Trump. We occupy the exact same position in both public and private life. The exact same. We are private citizens who hold no public office or trust and control 
zero levers of political or military power, just like Donald, Donald Trump. If claims of election irregularity can be dismissed for standing, this impeachment indictment and bill now before the Senate should have never been brought. Now this whole question of what kind of revenge the Democrats are trying to wage against Donald Trump is another question altogether. There is, after all, a debate here. And there is as to what the future of the Republican Party will be, or even if there is a future of the Republican Party. It's frankly the kind of discussion that may provide fodder and topics for those who write and consult for a living or have contracts as contributors with cable news organizations, but it is in the main and end a fairly meaningless discussion. A party that began with Abraham Lincoln, founded on the permanent natural rights outlined in the Declaration of Independence and runs through Ulysses Grant and Theodore Roosevelt and Calvin Coolidge and Dwight Eisenhower and Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan and the Bush family and Donald Trump is not going anywhere. We could probably do little better in understanding the party and its history and future than looking at or readopting the words of the first elected Republican president delivered at Independence Hall in Philadelphia in 1861, where he said, quote, All the political sentiments I entertain have been drawn, so far as I have been able to draw them, from the sentiments which originated and were given to the world from this hall. I have never had a feeling politically that did not spring from the sentiments embodied in the Declaration of Independence. I have often pondered over the dangers which were incurred by the men who assembled here and framed and adopted that Declaration of Independence. I have pondered over the toils that were endured by the officers and soldiers of the army who achieved that independence. I have often inquired of myself what great principle or idea it was that kept this country so long together. It was not the mere matter of the separation of the colonies from the motherland, but that sentiment in the Declaration of Independence which gave liberty not alone to the people of this country, but I hope to the world for all future time. It was that which gave promise that in due time the weight would be lifted from the shoulders of all men. This is the sentiment embodied in the Declaration of Independence. Now, my friends, can this country be saved upon that basis? If it can, I will consider myself one of the happiest men in the world if I can help to save it. If it can't be saved upon that principle, it will be truly awful. Close quote. Truly awful. Let us draw it out a little further, as Harry Jaffa has done, writing, The essence of slavery, Lincoln said, was expressed in the proposition, You work, I'll eat. Upon his election as president, Lincoln was besieged by office seekers who drove him to distraction. Lincoln was blunt in his judgment of the great majority of them. They wanted to eat without working. Lincoln saw the demand for the protection of slavery and the demand for government sinecures to be at bottom one and the same. The origin of all constitutional rights, according to Lincoln, was the right that a man had to own himself and therefore to own the product of his own labor. Government exists to protect that right and to regulate property only to make it more valuable to its possessors. Today, the pro-slavery impulse still governs the Democratic Party, the party of government sinecures. It is the party that wants to use political power to tax us, not for any common good, but to eat while we work. In 1981, Ronald Reagan spoke to this, represented this, this very sentiment in his and our day, saying, the one thing the editorialists hated and criticized more than anything else and still do in his inauguration speech. 
And it's the one thing we conservatives and Republicans remember and loved more than anything else from his inauguration speech. He said, quote, in this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. From time to time, we have been tempted to believe that society has become too complex to be managed by self-rule, that government by an elite group is superior to government for, by, and of the people. But if no one among us is capable of governing himself, then who among us has the, cap- has the capacity to govern someone else? All of us together in and out of government must bear the burden. The solutions we seek must be equitable with no one group singled out to pay a higher price. We hear much of special interest groups. Our concern must be for a special interest group that has been too long neglected. It knows no sectional boundaries or ethnic and racial divisions, and it crosses political party lines. It is made up of men and women who raise our food, patrol our streets, man our mines and our factories, teach our children, keep our homes, and heal us when we are sick. Professionals, industrialists, shopkeepers, clerks, cabbies, truck truck drivers. They are, in short, we the people, this breed we call Americans. The New York Times editorialized about those lines that they were, quote, a reckless script, close quote, 1981. All this is little different than when Donald Trump said at his inaugural four years ago when he spoke to the same sentiment, saying, quote, what truly matters is not which party controls our government, but whether our government is controlled by the people. January 20th, 2017 will be remembered remembered as the day the people became the rulers of this nation again. The forgotten men and women of our country will be forgotten no longer. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. Washington flourished, but the people did not share in its wealth. Politicians prospered, but the jobs left and the factories closed. The establishment protected itself, but not the citizens of our country. Their victories have not been your victories. Their triumphs have not been your triumphs. And while they celebrated in our nation's capital, there was little to celebrate for struggling families all across our land. Close quote. We're turning the country to its owners, the people, based on their natural rights to govern themselves. How did Lincoln, or for that matter Jefferson, or their legatees arrive at the truths of those natural rights? By the way, they educated themselves in the works of authors like Plato and Aristotle, the Bible, Shakespeare, Euclid, Aquinas, and the like. The very things, the very works, the very authors we deprive our students of today or teach them exclusively in order to deconstruct them, that is to say, prove how wrong they were, especially because they come from the bias of the thinking determined by the color of their skin, a color that is deemed to inherently determine and conclude in wrong thinking and racism because the color white. We, however, don't believe in anything like a white justice or a white truth any more than we believe in any kind of two or more tiered justice systems or subjective versions of truth summed up in the phrases such as your truth or my truth. We believe in justice for all. We believe in truth, period. And we don't believe, please God, that color of skin determines thought or conscience. We, after all, are not Marxists or national socialists. And to to, to the degree junk thought dominates so much of the Democratic Party today, we Republicans in the Republican Party are going nowhere. 
nor should we. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Alice, what a great name, Alice. Have you ever known an Alice Bill? Bill has been my producer. He's been on fire doing a lot of great production work. He gave us two great things yesterday. He's done some nice audio for us. We have a lot to do today. Uh, Hallmans will join us as well in the third hour, 602-508-0960. Before we get to today's news, I want to clean up something from yesterday or fulfill something that I didn't get to yesterday because Bill did good work on this. Yesterday, I think almost every talk show aired the interview between George Stephanopoulos and Rand Paul on Sunday, where George Stephanopoulos um, was in a six-minute interview, continued to ask Rand Paul if he would denounce the notion that the election was fraudulent, if he would renounce any notion that the election was fraudulent. Rand Paul was not having it. He was talking about examples that gave rise to those questions. He wasn't saying one way or the other conclusively. He was just saying there are these questions that no one has satisfactorily answered. And everyone loved, including me, how on message and on point Rand Paul was. But my point was a little bit different. My point was, as good as Rand Paul was, it's really important to listen to George Stephanopoulos because it's what a teacher of mine once called um, involuntary public exposure. He showed the ethos. He showed the article of faith that we are operating under. It's not that Donald Trump, for example, incited a riot. All the news that's available to us insists that this was pre-planned. By the way, while I'm on that point, just a quick one. You heard numerous members of Congress and you hear numerous commentators on CNN and MSNBC talking about how it was a white supremacist attack on the Capitol. And... Today's news is that the largest group involved was Proud Boys, the Proud Boys, which I had never heard of until the Savannah Guthrie Town Hall, to be honest with you, which was late in the game of the election. When was that? October, I think. I'd never heard of them. Maybe you had. The head of the Proud Boys is a man named Enrique Tario. He's a black Cuban that in no way can be described as a white supremacist organization when the leader is a black man, much less a black Cuban man. Anyway, small point, but, you know, these little lies do add up to something meaningful here, which is that there is a grand lie going on here. When no part of the grand lie, when none of the small parts equal truth, You can't stack falsehood into falsehood to come up with one grand lie that's true. But that's what the left is doing here. That's what the Democrats are doing here. White supremacists that Donald Trump incited. Well, not white supremacists and uh, not white. uh, And uh, it was preplanned, as the other stories attribute. 
Dennis Prager makes a good point about insurrection. When's the last time you had an insurrection that wasn't armed? Not Shay's Rebellion. Not John Brown. Not any insurrection I can ever think of. It's another lie. Insurrection. It's a mob riot. It's a mob riot. With, by the way, fewer arrests... Fewer arrests by about half as were arrested in the riots on the day Donald Trump was inaugurated four years ago. You know, the black conk, excuse me, the uh, big concrete slabs that were thrown into buildings, windows, the projectiles thrown at police, the police vans speeding in reverse, the police injuries from 2017. On Donald Trump's inauguration day, those riots, twice the number of people were arrested. Twice the number. And without, let me point out, the entire unity of the national security apparatus from the FBI to the NSA looking into who was going into the riot mode. That was more of an insurrection than this was. But in any event... The Democrats are now saying, well, by virtue of Donald Trump even questioning the integrity of the election, that in and of itself was an insurrect. Do you know what an article of faith that is, that you cannot dissent from the fact that there were, you cannot say there were irregularities. You cannot. This is why John Eastman was denounced at ASU Law School. This is why lawyers who were involved in representing the president are being censured. You cannot say it. So here is an example of that article of faith. We'll give it a little bit. We just isolated George Stephanopoulos. We took out Rand Paul. Here's George Stephanopoulos. Uh, Senator Paul, let me begin with a threshold question for you. Uh, this election was not stolen. Do you accept that fact? Senator it Paul, I have, a to, difference, and those things I, I have to, to stop affirm. you there. there no, no, no election is perfect, but there, there were 86 challenges filed by President Trump and his allies in court. All were dismissed. Every state certified the results after investigations and recounts. The Department of Justice, led by William Barr, said there's no widespread evidence of fraud. Can't you just say the words, this election was not stolen? What I would suggest is... Well, 75% of Republicans agree with you because they were fed a big lie by President Trump and his supporters who say the election was stolen. Why can't you say well, I think where President you make, Biden I think, won a I think legitimate you make a mistake in, uh, Senator, I said what the president fact, said was a lie because to. he said, hold we're on a second. To. He said the election was stolen. This election was not stolen. This ele- the we have another minute sure- of George Stephanopoulos doing that. But you see the point. That's not journalism. That's not a moderator. That's not a news anchor. That's a CN, that's an MSNBC agitator. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 after the hour gives us our culture and economy update with the great John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his wonderful website. It is a wonderful website. It's a lot of fun, like John himself. It's smart, too, like oh. John himself. Hi, John. Hey, what's going on? Pretty, uh, Doing pretty well. How are you? Fantastic. Hey, uh, just to say, on a sad note, yeah. uh, one year ago today, yeah. 
since the news of Kobe Bryant was broadcast. Was that a year ago? Believe it or not, it was a year ago was on the 26th of January. No kidding. And think about the weather we've had this week and right now, what's happening in newest weather. Uh, some bad weather during that time as well. That's what they were uh, attributing, attributing it to, the right? helicopter crash. Oh my goodness yeah. gracious! I had yeah. I couldn't believe it's been a year. I know. I just it flashed up, and I was like, "Oh my god!" It was a lost year in so many respects. You're not kidding. In yes. so many respects. Yes, John. The big news today um, on the economy seems to be the discussion about, or seems to be the anticipation of Congress passing. Um, a new hike to the minimum wage, a $15 minimum wage, national minimum wage. Right, right. Talk to me about what that looks like. Well, what is, what is interesting, and I think we probably could all agree, the current national uh, minimum wage, I think, is $7.25. Right. And it's been that way for well over a decade. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting that we haven't had any increase to that, which you would think, even if it was just a cost-of-living type adjustment, mm-hmm. uh, like we have for Social Security, I think that no one would really be able to argue that that would be somewhat reasonable. Right. Uh, well, we haven't had that. So there's always been this this underlying uh, talk about this. And, of course, now President Biden has possibly made this one of his uh, major points in his uh, presidency. And if, if he's going to push for this, I think a lot of the restaurant owners who are paying their, uh, their servers right. uh, a certain wage because of tips. Right. Uh, this is where there could be a little bit of a challenge yeah, for some of these. Yeah, we're doubling the minimum wage here. More than doubling, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, from seven twenty-five to fifteen dollars. Right. Um, this could be a real issue for some of these restaurant owners, and that's where they're saying that yes, uh, this could certainly bring people, uh, certain people, above the poverty line. They're also saying it could cost as many as one point three million workers their jobs. And when I believe, we have something like about what now, 10 million unemployed. As yeah, is, yeah. And this would probably be a lot of it in the service industry, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like the smaller businesses are the ones who are objecting the loudest. We do have a few case studies on this. Seattle was a big one. And I was looking at what Seattle, what the results in Seattle were. And it looks like it may have negatively affected the lowest uh, income groups the worst. Reduced hours worked in low-wage right. jobs by 7%. Mm-hmm. Um, total payroll for such jobs decreased. So it does turn out that some businesses will, in fact, cut back on growth, hiring. Um, and then there's these interesting studies that show what other businesses do too to make up for the costs Mm -hmm. they reduce benefits yeah well that's that's the big one right so benefits is always in any any company the uh, the largest expenses are usually the employees number one wages uh, benefits and and advertising so a lot of these areas that are critical for companies which is their employees mm-hmm. which is uh the the ability to get the word out for their mm-hmm. business so they can generate you know revenue for their for their uh, company by advertising uh these are things all that potentially uh could could be impacted because of that and i was just thinking about it seth you know the interesting thing about government is is that they they come across these studies that they supposedly do and they like they'll say, okay, well, we're going to increase this wage, and it's going to take so many people above the poverty yeah. line, or whatever it might be. But in reality, if it doesn't work like we expected it to, it never goes back. It never goes back never. like like a, a private company would right. do, right? So if right. a private company says we're going to try this for one year, we're going to yeah. measure it, and we're going to see what the results yeah. were. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, we're going to change direction. Right. 
Obviously, that never happens never. in government. No. So here we are, 11 years it's been since the last increase for minimum wage. We're just going to double it. And, uh, and across the country. Across so the country. So that the worker now. in Boston is now making the same as a worker in Birmingham. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, so these things that, that the government does, that's why the government is so inefficient right. and people are so frustrated with them, is that there's never accountability. And uh, unfortunately, this is what you know we're going to have to deal with here, at least for the next four years. It's blunt. It's big. Mm-hmm. It doesn't adjust. It doesn't tailor. And right. it never goes back. Positive note, yeah. though. Yeah. Corporate earnings have been coming in. Uh, many companies outperforming what the expectations have been, Seth. And that's what I've been saying all along, is that we can't invest, invest emotionally uh, with the markets, we have to take emotion out of it and invest with a purpose, invest in certain sectors of the market. If people need help with that, please call me. Uh, go to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Securities and advisory services offered through Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finra Tippett, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC, and not affiliated. Nailed it. Got it. Thank you, Seth. Thanks, JD. Bye bye. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Now, on another Rand Paul front, if I might, he probably gave the best speech on impeachment in the Senate that you're ever going to hear with regard to the impeachment case against Donald Trump today. And um, God bless him. I, I don't know what Wheaties Rand Paul has, has been eating lately, but his stock is steadily rising in my book. All these Republicans to watch lists, I'm throwing him on that list. Listen to it. I think it's just worth extensively listening to him. This took guts and courage. Truth to power is what the left likes to talk about. Here's truth to power. Peacefully and patriotically, hardly words of violence. But what of Democrat words? What of Democrat incitement to violence? No Democrat will honestly ask whether Bernie Sanders incited the shooter that nearly killed Steve Scalise and volunteer coach. The shooter nearly pulled off a massacre. I was there because he fervently believed the false and inflammatory rhetoric spewed by Bernie and other Democrats, such as the Republican health care plan for the uninsured is that you die. As this avowed Bernie Supporters shot Steve Scalise, nearly killing him, and shot one of our coaches and two or three of our staff. He screamed, this is for health care. Ask me or anyone if that's incitement. No Democrat will ask whether Cory Booker incited violence when he called for his supporters to get, get up in their face of Congress people. A very visual and specific incitement. No Democrat will ask whether Maxine Waters incited violence when she literally told her supporters, and I quote, that if you see a member of the Trump administration at a restaurant, at an apartment store, at a gas station, or any place, you create a crowd and you push back on them. Is that not incitement? My wife and I were pushed and surrounded and screamed at by this same type of mob that Maxine likes to inspire. It's terrifying to have a swarm of people threatening to kill you, cursing at you and literally holding you hostage until police come to your rescue. That night we were assaulted by the crowd. 
I wasn't sure if we'd survive even with the police protection. But no Democrat has ever considered impeaching Maxine for her violent rhetoric. In fact, Republicans, to our credit, have never once thought it legitimate to formally censor or impeach these Democrats. No Republican has sought to use the government to hold these Democrats responsible for Antifa and Black Lives Matter violence that has consumed our cities all summer, resulting in over a billion dollars of destruction, looting, and property damage. Not one Republican said, oh, let's impeach the Democrats who are inciting this, because it would be ridiculous. Many on the Democrat side of the aisle cheered them on. Kamala Harris famously offered to pay the bill for those who are arrested. I wonder if she'll be brought up on charges of inciting violence for that now that she's vice president. Should Kamala Harris be impeached for offering to pay for violent people to get out of jail who've been burning our cities down? No. And no Republican has offered that because we're not going down the road that Democrats have decided, this low road of impeaching people for political speech. Should Republicans impeach the Democrat mayor of Seattle, who incited and condoned violence by calling the armed takeover of part of her city a summer of love? Any Republicans try to impeach her? On June 8th, the New York Post, citing U.S. Justice Department statistics, reported that more than 700 law enforcement officers were injured during the Antifa Black Lives Matter riots. There were at least 19 murders including 77-year-old retired police officer David Dorn. Yet Democrats insist on applying a test of incitement to a Republican that they refuse to apply to themselves. I want the Democrats to raise their hands if they have ever given a speech that says, take, back, fight for your country. Who hasn't used the words fight figuratively? And are we going to put every politician in jail? Are we going to impeach every politician who has used the words fight figuratively in a speech? Shame. Shame on these angry, unhinged partisans who are putting forth this sham impeachment, deranged by their hatred of the former president. Shame on those who seek blame and revenge and who choose to pervert a constitutional process while doing so. I want this body on record. Every last person here. Is this how you think politics should be? Look, we've now got crazy partisans on the other side of the aisle trying to censor and remove two of the Republican senators for their political position. Now, look, I disagreed. I don't think Congress should overturn the Electoral College. But impeaching or censoring or expelling a member of Congress you disagree with? Is the truth so narrow that only you know the truth? We now have the media on your side saying there is only one set of facts, one set of truth, and you can only interpret it this way. Now we have seven senators on the other side trying to expel, censor, or impugn two senators on this side. And I defend them, not because I defend their position. I disagreed with their position. But you can't impeach, censor, expel people you disagree with. What's this coming to? Sounds like uh, Rand Paul has been listening to these monologues. I couldn't say it as with such passion or the credibility that he brings to it. So he filed a motion to dismiss the case of impeachment in the Senate. 
and um, his motion was killed 55-45. Do you know what that means? It means every Democrat plus five Republicans voted against Ron Paul's, excuse me, Rand Paul's motion. Every Democrat listened to that and said he's wrong. So did five Republicans. You're asking who they are? I will tell you who they are. Can you guess? Give me one. Give me one, Bill. Mitt Romney would be one of them. Ben Sass would be a second one. Susan Collins would be a third. Lisa Murkowski would be the fourth. And Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania would be the fifth. Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania would be the fifth. I'll go back to what I said the other day. No one ever asks of Mitt Romney or Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski, what Democrats will they bring over to the Republican side? Because they never do and never try. The only question ever asked of these quote-unquote, if you want, moderates is when are they voting with the Democrats? That's the, it's never the other way around. Isn't it funny? Oh, Mitt Romney and his statesmanship and great senatorial and negotiating skills brought over two or three Democrats today. Never happens. It's never talked of. It's never expected. You know why? Because Democrats are Democrats. And almost all but five or six Republicans are Republicans. I was surprised to see Mitch McConnell do the right thing. He did. Good for him. Deserves being mentioned. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. What a difference things um, in COVID make. With the change of an administration... Really, big difference. Today, Joe Biden gave a big talk on COVID. Didn't take any questions. But um, despite his promises during the campaign about going after the virus, he did say things are going to get worse before they get better. This was after saying last week, nothing we can do to change the trajectory of the pandemic in the next several months. But, but the media, perhaps, has changed. The media has perhaps given him an assist here. First of all, though we're supposedly engaged in a surge, or have been, where's the ticker? Where's the ticker on the cable channels? Where's the graphics of the daily infection rates and death tolls? Gone. Where's the New York Times? You know what the New York Times is up to? The New York Times is up to reporting interesting things. Two stories in the last three days. Today, headline, CDC officials say most available evidence indicates schools can begin reopening. Wow. Wow. YouTube would censor me if I gave a monologue saying that. Did you know that? Open schools. Close indoor dining. I'm reading from the New York Times today. On Tuesday, federal health officials weighed in with a call for returning children to the nation's classrooms as soon as possible, saying the preponderance of available evidence indicates that in-person instruction can be carried out safely as long as mask wearing and social distancing are maintained. 
Okay. Okay. If that's what it takes to get a... We've been saying this since April. By the way, so too did administration officials in the previous administration. Interesting that the New York Times today says on Tuesday, federal health officials weighed in with a call for returning children to the nation's classrooms as soon as possible. Scott Atlas was a federal official. Gantz Gantz, the Deputy uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services for Mental Health, was an administration official. Just the wrong administration, I guess. All right, anything on your mind, give me a buzz. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. 